Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Say the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. My gosh, this morning? Let me tell y'all about my, let me explain my day, okay? Woke up this morning. Made my, I always have my sermon, you know, made up, but I, I, I wait till Sunday morning to do my notes because I could do them on Tuesday, but then I change them on Sunday morning. So I just wait till Sunday morning. And so I got up this morning and I did that. And I was, uh, I was listening to Alan Jackson's Precious Memories CD. Love that, man. It's great CD. And got here and <laughs> uh, we couldn't get the live stream to work. So 3,000 people that usually watch couldn't watch. And um, I had received an email late last week, from a woman saying, I'm coming from South Dakota. Can I get baptized? I was like, absolutely. Got here, and at 8.15, I realized I didn't have the tank. So I had to send Gary and, and uh, Dallas to the ranch to get that stuff, and then we're filling it up, and I had to ad lib so we had enough water in there. And the live stream wouldn't work. I forgot the tank, and everybody was full of, full of grace, and it's just like one of those days but it actually started yesterday. So yesterday, I had the unfortunate pleasure of doing a funeral for one of our owns, uh, Sarah Ostrand's brother, who passed away last year. They're just, because of COVID and all that stuff, they had the memorial service yesterday and uh, buried him out at uh, west of Castle Rock there. And anyway, so I got up yesterday morning, I showered, all that good stuff. And as I was looking in the mirror at this ruggedly handsome face, I realized that my mustache and beard looked like a wet cat. It's just like, because I don't have the, the gift of beautiful facial hair like Anthony does, right? I mean, like, he can grow a mustache, better mustache in one day than I can in four years. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to trim it up. But So we've been moving stuff around, you know, kind of getting ready because I'm getting married and blah, blah, blah. And so... uh I have this beard and mustache trimmer clipper set, right? And so I have two that I have identified as good. One for my whatever this is and one for whatever this is. I have 4,000 clipper guards over here, but I can't find the two that I need. Yeah, if those will work, these will work, right? So I looked at them. And, you know, you're looking at them sideways and they, you know, they range from being this small up to this big. So I kind of found a medium one. You know, did my little old chin and everything. That's pretty good. So I just tried to find one that was just a little smaller. And I mean, the back end of it was just a little smaller than the other. Them stupid people. Why do you put it on this big this end when it's this big on the other end? Because I went like this and shaved my must half my mustache off. Oh my God. I'm looking and like, seriously, it's like a bad joke. And I was like, oh no, I've got to go do a funeral like this. And I promise you, and it wasn't like this. Shay and Jessica were there, and I talked to them for a long time. But it really felt like everybody was just staring at my mustache, or the lack of one. The whole time, I was very self-conscious of it. To add insult to injury, guess what today was going to be? Engagement pictures. And I accidentally one millimetered my mustache. <sighs> Does that ever feel like you just, doesn't matter what you do, you just can't win? That it's danged if you do, danged if you don't, you know? I mean, honestly, that, that, that's what my life feels like most of the time. It's danged if you do, it's danged if you don't. So, 
how do we become victorious in a life that is unwinnable? How do we become victorious in a life that's unwinnable? Well, today we're going to go over three things that we can do to ensure that even though it's danged if you do, danged if you don't, that we can still be victorious through biblical means and ways. The first thing that we have to understand in order to be victorious in an unwinnable life is that, listen, you're never going to please everyone. You are never going to please everyone. Listen, I've often said this, and I think a lot of people in here, most people have been in some sort of supervisory position. Maybe it's just being a parent, and I don't mean just, I mean, that's a big one, right? But everybody has been in a supervisory position of some sort at some point in time. And the one thing that I have understood about being in a supervisory position is that it doesn't matter what you do. Half the people are going to love you. Half the people are going to hate you. It happens every time. I mean, it, you know, a lot of times whenever I, you know, we, you know, I use humor a lot in my sermons. Why do I do that? Because you know what? If I can make you laugh, I'll make you listen. And if you'll listen, I'll tell you about Jesus Christ. That's why I use humor. Laughter is good medicine. This isn't a funeral. We're supposed to have joy of the Lord. Why are we not celebrating and why are we not laughing, especially when we're honoring God and here for one reason, one reason only. But, you know, when I'm funny in a sermon, I'll get an email or a comment on Facebook. Well, you just think that, that God's just a big old joke, don't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and then, but you know what? Every once in a while, and I bet a lot of you have been here, sometimes we have some really serious stuff, don't we? And when I'm serious, I get the same email. I miss it when you're funny because this serious stuff just doesn't bring glory. It doesn't matter what I do. Somebody's going to complain about it. And I bet you felt the same way in a lot of stuff. You know, I know some contractors. <laughs> it don't matter what you do. <laughs> Somebody's going to like it. Somebody's going to hate it. And teachers, you know, it doesn't matter how you treat those kids. Some are going to like it. Some are going to hate it. Horseshoers, you know, dog trainers, construction. It doesn't matter. Ranching. It's just the way it is. So how can we be victorious when it doesn't matter? Some people are, we can't please everybody. Well, the first thing that I think that we have to understand is that everything we do is not to please other people. It's for the glory of God. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Apostle Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you want to be victorious in a life that it doesn't matter what you do, somebody's going to be mad about it, start doing it for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. That's how you become victorious in an unwinnable life. I'm not saying that you hate people. Of course not. But who cares what everybody's saying? Are you doing your best, not their best, not somebody else's best? Are you doing your best to glorify God? Put that in your pipe and use it every single day. But the reverse of that is also true. You know, when you do mess up, even if it's towards somebody else, you're not sinning against them. You're sinning against God. And that's the part that should bother you. Not whether somebody's mad at you personally or not. If you have sinned, you're sinning against God, not them. And the reason I say that is because it's in God's word. Who was the man after God's own heart? It was David for all of y'all that's never read your Bibles. I'm joking. I had to line everybody up in the first service, and we did communion with a Red Bull and a donut because everybody was still asleep. It was Catholic style, too. Just had them line up. They just had to come through. Somebody tried to bite my finger. <laughs> I'll get an email about that one, I guarantee you. It's a joke. It's a joke. But even David, the man after God's own heart, you know what he did one day? 
He walked out on his old balcony, probably getting on his treadmill or the elliptical or something, seeing a girl bathing. Well, come to find out, it was one of his best buddies. Maybe not best buddies, but he was, it was the wife of a guy named Uriah. And Uriah was one of David's mighty men. And David had lust for her, and he called her into the palace and basically raped her. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, like it was like we envision, right? Because what the king wants, the king gets. Nobody defies the king. But she didn't want it, but he took it anyway. Then she became pregnant. Well, Uriah is at, at war. This is going to be hard to explain. So what is David, the man after God's own heart? What does he do? He calls the leader of the David's mighty men. He says, put your eye on the front lines until he's killed. And guess what? He was killed. And then Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, gives birth to David's baby. And during this time, Nathan, the prophet of God, comes up to David. And he said, hey, David, King David, we got a problem. He said, what is it? He said, well, there's this guy over here. And the only worldly possession that he had was this little lamb. And it was a beautiful little lamb. And this rich guy wanted the lamb, so he took the lamb and had the guy killed. And David said, by my power, that man, that rich man should be killed. Nathan was like, it's you, buddy. It's you. This is what David said. David said, I have sinned against you, O Lord. He didn't say I sinned against Uriah. He didn't say I sinned against Bathsheba. He didn't say that he sinned against the the newborn child that was going to die because of his sin. David said, I have sinned against you, O Lord. Now. That doesn't mean that, yes, he did sin against Uriah. Of course he did. And he did sin against Bathsheba and he did sin against the child. But here's the thing. This is what David meant when he said, I have sinned against you, O Lord. He said, the horrible thing here is that I ultimately rebelled against God. I rejected God as my treasure and I scorned the word of God. That's what David meant by that. When you sin, it's not really, it can be against other people, but ultimately it's from God. You'll never please everybody. And stop trying. Glorify God in all you do. And when you mess up, you've messed up against God. And we should repent of that. And don't worry. Yeah, you may deserve the criticism, but it's God that we will have to answer to. You want to know why we can't win by pleasing people? This is the second thing. Because have you notice how angry this world is? This world is just angry. And often I wonder, is it really more angry now than it was in the past? Or are we just more aware of it? Because it seems like the more connected we are, the angrier this world is. And you know what? By its very definition, authentic Christianity is offensive to the world. And for the life of me, I guess I can have a a surface knowledge of why that is, but I don't understand why the world would hate people that are just trying to worship something bigger than themselves and love other people, right? But this world is an angry world because being offended, think about this, Being offended has become an idol that folks have given their lives to. It is. I mean, some people make a religion out of being angry and being offended. What do I mean by that? Let me just bring up a few touchy subjects. Masks, vaccines, Republican, Democrat, presidents, freedoms, whether you should blanket your horse in the winter or not. Uh, Let's see. What else? Uh, Can you really call it a ranch if you just have alpacas? Texas Longhorns, University of Texas Longhorns. Is it better to ride mares or geldings? What about cattle breeds? Angus, Charley, Hereford, Longhorn, Scottish Highlanders. (laughs) Oh, I'm stepping on some toes now. How about this? Disciplining kids. You know, you go anywhere and you say, yeah, my kid, he messed up, beat the tar out of him. 
Somebody's going to say, I hear you. Somebody's going to get mad about it. But then you go to the same, same place and say, well, I don't, I don't spank my children. I put them in timeout. Somebody's going to have a problem with that too, right? People are just angry. They are just angry. And they're going to be angry. You'll never win that argument. You'll never win any argument. So how can we be victorious in a life that we can't win in? See, being offended has become a way to express supposed moral superiority. Have you ever noticed that? That the people that make a living out of being offended, they believe themselves to be morally superior to whoever they're offended by, right? And here's a couple of, of results from that moral superiority. Because they believe that because they're offended, they're morally superior. And the more you're offended, they believe the better person you are. And the better the person you are, the more people owe them something for being that better person. What a vicious world. What a vicious circle that is. And it all stems from just being angry and being offended by everything. You know, some people will say, well, what about... You know, you can be offended by something and have righteous anger. That, that's okay, to have righteous anger. No, it's not. There's no such thing as righteous anger. There's no such thing as righteous anger. And I know that some people are getting offended by that because that's the justification you've used to hold on to your rock so that you can throw it at people that you're offended by. But your anger is not righteous. I didn't say it. God did in James chapter 1, verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Mic drop. I didn't say it, God did. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So there is no justification for our supposed righteous anger, no matter what. And you know what? Christians think that this righteous anger, man, we're supposed to boycott this brand and boycott that brand and not listen to this band. And uh, yeah. oh my gosh, we all need to hush. I mean, this world would be a better place if we could just do what our grandmas told us. Can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, right? But that's not the way the world is. But you know, if human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, then, then we, if, if we say that righteous anger is okay, then we can start throwing other things in there to justify our anger, right? Or justify what we want to do. How about this? Righteous greed. No such thing as righteous greed. How about this? Righteous gluttony. I'm going to eat... I'm going to eat this whole pizza for the glory of God. Somebody sing a hymn. Oh, Lord, my God, when I'm in awesome hunger. I just made that up right then. I know, it's kind of silly. Righteous, how about this? Righteous gossip. Veiled as a prayer request. There's no justifying it. Um, let's see, what else did I put here? Uh, anyway, I won't go through the whole list. I had a bunch of them, but I'm not going to read them all. Y'all get the point. There's no such thing as righteous anger. It's not okay to be angry. It's not a sin in itself to be angry, okay? But we can't use it to justify ourselves. So how does one become victorious in in an unwinnable and angry world? Pastor Greg Rochelle of Life Church says that angry people's goal is simple. Angry and offended people, their only goal in life is to make a point no matter what. To use any means necessary to make a point. But if we want to be victorious in an unloving, angry, and unwinnable world, we need to go from trying to make a point and start using our life to make a difference. That's how you become victorious in an unwinnable, angry, and offended world, is to forget trying to make a point. Let's make a difference. Let's make a difference. If you want, 
If you want to make a difference, here's how. According to Greg Rochelle, if this is not correct, send him the nasty email, not me. I am quoting, giving credit where credit is due. Sorry, Greg. And this number may be off by one or two, okay? But according to Greg, Jesus was asked 183 direct questions in the four Gospels. 183 questions were directly asked to him. Do you want to know how many he directly answered? Three. 183 direct questions were asked, and he only directly asked or answered three of them. And I think the reason for that, and I haven't studied it, and Greg didn't say, but, you know, just my, based upon everything that I've read, is because most people didn't ask the right questions. Okay, so a lot of times I think he answered with a question that wasn't a direct answer, trying to lead them to the more important question. Okay, he wasn't trying to be rude. He wasn't like, no, (laughs) I don't think it was like that. But did you know that he asked like something like 380 questions of his own? Pretty crazy. So how how do we go from making our living trying to make a point to making a difference? Here is one of the questions that Jesus directly answered. A guy walked up to Jesus and said, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, one out of three times, answered him directly. And in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Follow with me and I'll show you where I'm going with this. How do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? Think about that. Don't think about it too hard, because really, there's only one way. There's only one way, and both of them are included in that verse. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and love our neighbor. That is how we show God how much we love Him. You, your love of God is directly proportional to the love that you have for others. Or maybe my, I dare say that your love of God is indicative of how you treat other people, especially those that don't like you, don't like you, or don't like what you're saying, don't like what you're doing. Maybe we can say those that hate you. Your love of God is direct. I mean, the litmus test for your love of God is how you treat others, especially those that are different from you or whatever that case may be. So, how can we learn not to be angry and offended by everything? So, how do we be victorious in an unwinnable life where it's dang if you do, dang if you don't? Number one, we have to understand we're never going to please people, and that is not our goal. Our goal is not to please people, but to bring glory to God. The second thing is that the world is angry. We have to understand that. And it doesn't matter what you say, what you do, somebody's going to get mad at it. And the third thing, We got to be able to get over our anger and offenses because we're not immune to that just because we're Christians. So how do we do that? Two ways to get over our anger and offenses. Here it is. And the very first one is going to be counterintuitive. Okay? Going to be counterintuitive. We want to get rid of our anger and and our our propensity to be easily offended. We got to lower our expectations of people. And I know that you're like, what? We've got to lower our expectations of people. See, here's why. Jesus was never surprised by the actions of sinful people. Think about that. Let's look at a few examples of this, okay? We're going to look at really obvious examples. First one, 
Jesus, he's probably going to Burger King or something. He's walking along and he sees this group of, you know, religious people and they've got a woman in front of them and they're fixing to stone her to death. And so they call him over because the religious people know he is. And they're like, teacher, come over here. So he, he wanders over there and, and they said, this woman has just been caught red-handed in adultery and the law of Moses says that we should stone her to death. Do you agree? He said, absolutely. That's what the law says. He said, but only those who have not sinned can cast the first stone. And so he kneels down and he starts writing in the dirt. And it does, the Bible does not say what he wrote. Tradition kind of says that he started writing the sins of all of those people that were holding stones. Because the Bible says, starting with the oldest, they walked away one by one until only Jesus was left. And he said, where are those that wanted to condemn you, woman? And she goes, I know not, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, he didn't walk up and go, hey, what's going on, guys? And they said, this woman's caught in adultery. He didn't go, oh my gosh. He was not surprised by that. We're sinful people. Now, he wasn't saying it was okay. But Jesus was never surprised when sinful people sinned. But yet, we as Christians, we get so easily offended because somebody sins against us. You know what? We've all done the same thing. We are all sinners, hopefully saved by grace through faith, not by works. We are not saved by what we do right or do wrong. We are saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, of God through Jesus. How about this one? Jesus walks into a Samaritan village, which is a no-no for Jewish people anyway, if you don't know why that's such a faux pas, because Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-something else. Highlander, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. You don't have to do Red Bull Communion. He walks up to a well, and it's around lunch, so he sends his boys to go get some grub, go to Chick-fil-A probably. And a woman walks up, and it ain't, it ain't kosher for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman, especially alone at a well, but he does. And, and inevitably, he ends up telling her, he's like, look, lady, I know who you are. You, you've been married five times, and the dude you're shacking up with now ain't even your husband. And she's blown away by this, but you know what? Jesus was never surprised by it, and he didn't condemn her over it. He just said, I will give you what you need. You keep looking for all of this over here, but what you need is me. He didn't condemn her. He didn't stone her. He didn't do anything. He loved on her. Jesus is never surprised when sinful people sinned, even those closest to him. You remember whenever the disciples are having an a argument over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? You know. I mean, like, they're, they're pulling each other aside. James and John sent their mama to talk to Jesus. I mean, come on, give me a break. His, their mama comes up and says, who's going to sit at your right and left hand? Can it be my boys, James and John? Right? Oh, my gosh. They were seriously ar arguing over who was going to be the RHM and the KOG. That's Greg Rochelle also. They were arguing over who was going to be the right-hand man in the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus said, that ain't for me to do. That's God's business who's going to be there. Well, we know who sits at the right hand of God. It's Jesus, not any of us. You know, even Peter, Peter bragged and he's like, Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. Peter's like, over my dead body? I'll never let him take you, God. I'll stand by you to the end. I mean, he was so full of himself and bragging and bragging. And when it came down to the cutting, he lit out. Jesus wasn't surprised. As a matter of fact, he told him he'd do it. We got to lower our expectations. And I'm not saying that we don't want the best for people. But listen, Unless you're Jesus and you're not, you're a sinner. 
Unless you're Jesus, you're not perfect. So yes, people are going to sin. And it may hurt your feelings, or you may not agree with it. You may be offended by it, but don't be surprised by it because we are all sinners saved by grace through faith. We are all sinful. And how prophetic is this right here? How prophetic is this? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, Paul tells Timothy, Paul told Timothy over 2,000 years ago, this is what he said, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. That was 2,000 years ago, and nothing has changed today. People are still like that. People are still like it. And listen... Your preacher is a sinful man. I am. I've been greedy in my life more than once. I've been greedy. I've told lies and knew when I was doing it, I was doing it. There's been times that I've had no self-control. There's been a few times in my life and I'm not proud, but it's the truth. I've been cruel. I've been puffed up with pride this week a few times. I'm not proud of it, but I have been. I've loved pleasure instead of God. I've made jokes about people from California, and I've even been known to drink unsweet tea. I'm not perfect. I am not perfect. And if you're ever wondering if I'm a sinful man, I am, as Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, but every single day I will strive to be better than I was yesterday. And there's going to be times that I'm worse today than I was even a year ago, but I will get back up and I will keep going. And you want to know how I'm going to do that? because I'm going to lower my expectations of others. I'm going to love them anyway, and I'm going to raise my gratitude. 